You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Real People, Real Hope, a podcast from Wellspring Lutheran Services, a Michigan nonprofit that serves people of all ages. Your hosts are Dave Game and Sean DeFore. We've spent our careers working alongside children, families, and seniors who are in need of hope. The work is rarely easy, but it is rewarding. On this podcast, we'll share stories that inspire us and can inspire you, too, to let hope flow through you. Welcome to Real People, Real Hope, the podcast from Wellspring Lutheran Services. I'm Jill Heiser, Vice President of Mission Advancement, and I am very excited to be joined today by uh, Wellspring President and CEO, Dave Game, and our COO, Sean DeFore. And today we're going to talk about issues related to seniors, family, human social services throughout the state of Michigan. Um, and I'm really excited about this specific episode uh, because we learn a little bit more about both of our leaders um, and what is the driving force behind you guys working uh, for Wellspring. Spring. So Dave, you've been in senior services for quite a while now, 29 years, I believe I heard in a past episode. Yeah. And you started right. to tell that story a little bit on our first episode about kind of why this is important to you. Can you expand a little mm-hmm. bit and tell us how you uh, made the transition from a pharmacist over to senior service work? Yeah. So the story starts as a young boy when I had opportunity and privilege to spend a f- a fair amount of time with my with my grandparents who um, who had immigrated from Germany in 1927 and had um, really struggled to find their way and yet did so and and really my grandfather was an amazing an amazing man humble uh, quiet you know sort of typical German immigrant who just sort of went about his work and um, built a foundation for. My mom and and her siblings and my family and my kids' families, and he really became a bit of a hero to me. And as he aged, and we stayed close, he lived well into his nineties. Um, I found that um, he we really had some challenges getting the care he needed and good care, and uh, had some really 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 bad situations come up. And at the time, I was practicing pharmacy and um, and loving it and. Um, and part of my pharmacy practice was working in uh, various uh, facilities, skilled nursing. I did some hospice work, did a number of things that were cons- uh, doing consulting in those environments. And uh, as I was watching my grandfather's life play out in his 90s and um, starting my career and being exposed to sort of that side of senior services, I literally was really sort of searching for my calling at that point. Mm-hmm. And calling isn't necessarily um, – Degree right. or profession, right? And so um, we were uh, just really starting our family, Elaine and I, and we had uh, you know two little guys, four and well, not even four and one. And uh, I came to the conclusion that uh, that my calling was really working with with seniors, and um, and so I sort of announced that uh, that I was leaving the pharmacy world and moving into uh, senior services. And uh, my grandfather at the time, when I went to tell him, um, he said, what do you want to go work with those old people for? <laughs> and How old was he at that point? He was, he was well in his 90s. He was probably 92, right. 93 at that point. And um, 
what I love about that was that was him because he didn't necessarily see himself as one of those old people. Right. And and he just had this sense. He was very proud of me for becoming a pharmacist. To him, it was like having a doctor in the family because, you know, every time he had a question, I mean, I was his phone a friend. And so that was great. But he he just thought, why are you doing that? And and I think in the course of time, he understood my passion for it and and whatnot. But it really led me to take some risky moves. I mean, I left a, a growing pharmacy practice where, frankly, I was making a, a good living for a young man. Right, yeah. And, you know, we left there and I took a job as an assistant administrator and uh, took a pretty good-sized pay cut. Uh, we went without health insurance for a while. I had to go buy health insurance on the, you know, wherever you could back then. And we had two babies. I mean, you know, Paul and John were three and one and and um, it was it was a leap of faith literally and we never felt unsettled about that we never felt like it was risky because I felt so strongly that that was the path God had chosen for me and what's interesting about that that was 1989 when I made that jump and uh, as as time would have it and as circumstance and sort of divine, Intervention would have it by 1994. I was CEO of this thing called Lutheran Homes of Michigan. That's unbelievable. And Sean, you kind of took a leap of faith recently too. Um, you started off your uh, career in child and family services, and now you're kind of getting more integrated into the senior service world with your new role as uh, senior vice president mm-hmm. and COO of Wellspring. So, can you talk a little bit about your heart for seniors and what you've been learning um, throughout this journey? Yeah, and I, where I've worked previously, uh, we did senior services, yeah. although I wasn't involved in that work. So I was sort of an outsider looking in and always wanted the opportunity, hungered for the opportunity to learn that side of the work. Um, uh, partly, if for those of you who listened to our last episode, uh, Dave talked a lot about um, these artificial silos we create around generations. And um, it, it was always sort of strange to me that there was a similar artificial silo between our child and family work and other agencies and senior work. So it's exciting to um, be able to be over both. Uh, And if you listen to episode one, you heard me talk about uh, my grandfather uh, who lives in in, uh, Canada and Ontario, who uh, I was quite close with, and my grandmother who suffered from dementia and then passed, um, and watching him take care of her um, and watching her deteriorate, um, but uh, be part of a system that I think gave her dignity. So it's really inspiring to me to be a part of that system and and sort of do the same and and advance that work. Um, And uh, I guess, you know, I'm really interested, if I can, flip a question back to Dave, in hearing a little bit more, Dave, about your work with Leading Age. Um, You sent me for the first time to the Leading Age conference back in the fall. And I, I have to say I was awed by the size of this organization the number of members, um, the amount of lives that they must touch. And I don't think I had an appreciation for how big that role must have been until mm-hmm. I went to that conference and mm-hmm. was introduced to Leading Age National. So tell me a little bit about your time in that role and mm-hmm. what it was like and, and what you learned because you got a chance to see all this cutting-edge work all over the country. Yeah, and that role was Leading Age board chair. I'll never forget when I saw you up on that big stage as the board chair of this massive membership organization. So, yeah, I'm interested too, Dave. Yeah, so um, that was an amazing opportunity, of course. I'd been on the Leading Age board back in the early 2000s, I think from like 2003 to maybe 2010. 
and then um, it, which was an amazing experience. I, I didn't I served as an officer, but not not as board chair back then, and so that exposed me to this really amazing organization that is um, is is made up of all nonprofits doing senior service work across the nation. There are some six thousand organizations that are members of this. Many of them are multi-site like ours. So it's really almost sort of countless how how big and, and wide the, the breadth of it is. Uh, but we do know that um, leading age members serve about 4 million Americans every day in – in, uh, in in the service of, of seniors. So it's a, it's a big organization. I was asked to come back on the board in 2012 uh, to move into a chair-elect position and then two years as chair and then uh, spent two years as sort of immediate past chair, which, which was an, am- uh, an amazing opportunity to, to be sort of at the seat uh, in Washington uh, in that work uh, with thought leaders and that was at a time when the nation was moving through uh, – Conversation and debate around the Affordable Care Act and what it meant to seniors, and and so uh, really felt like uh, it was an amazing experience to be at that table, part of the voice, I guess, uh, of advocacy around these things and helping our members make sense of what what uh, what what our what our work was and is and 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 where it goes, and had really amazing opportunities to see. Really cutting edge senior services, and also see the challenges that that organizations like ours face out there uh, in terms of uh, uh, funding and regulatory challenges and workforce challenges. I mean, you name it, it this is hard, hard work. And um, and yet, I was inspired every every time I had opportunity to interact with with that organization, with our members who were out there doing that work. Mm-hmm. Many of which go back, like we do, you know, to the to the nineteenth century, the late eighteen hundreds. With amazing stories of how they got started and and the missions that they've carried on all these years. So, Dave, I have to believe your time with Leading Age helps inform the direction that you're leading Wellspring in, particularly our senior services division uh, today. And we have two major building projects in Frankenmuth uh, going on right now. Um, Frankenmuth being one of the major homes for Lutheran yeah. Homes of Michigan um, and for Wellspring. Talk a little yep. bit about how your um, time and experience in Leading Age informed those two projects and what those two projects are about. Yeah, so we've got two things going on there, and um, one is the the repositioning and really reimagining of what has been our freestanding skilled nursing facility. There, are many people in Frank we still know it as the Lutheran Home. Uh, it's now Wellsprings uh, Skilled Nursing Facility there, um, and um, really, it's a building that has served us well, but needs serious um, rethinking in terms of how we serve seniors. You think about it, it was built and opened in 1969. And, you know, that was before, uh, you know, we had computers and and the average age of seniors living there back then was in the 70s and now it's well into the 90s. The frailty is higher. The acuity is higher. The challenges of delivering good care aren't necessarily supported by a building that was built you know, at an era where we didn't think about those things, so we're really reimagining that care, and and part of part of what we're challenging ourselves to do with that redesign is to rethink care delivery. And my my time at Leading Age um, gave me an opportunity to see a lot of inspiring organizations that have that have challenged the status quo mm-hmm. and have come up with new ways, new ideas, uh, new delivery models that. Uh, um, are, are impactful. And so we're not about necessarily just 
taking that off the shelf and duplicating it because if you've seen one, you've seen one. But what it has done is it's caused us to say before we just start designing things and building things, let's have a deep conversation about what does this facility need to be for its residents and the families that we serve. And that's part of that lens we talked about in previous podcasts about our work being defined by sort of family work now, not just looking at that senior who needs care, but saying as we do that, we're also serving a family. And so um, it's a it's an exciting conversation and we're almost – we're sort of taking this idea of pushing the edges of, of nursing home care by saying what if – what if we created a nursing home that was based on sort of a co-op model of families engaging, mm-hmm. right? Now, we may never actually do that. Um, but by forcing that question and having conversations with our board, with our with our staff, with frontline staff, what would that look like, right? Well, how would that play out? We're having community conversations about that to, to really push the envelope of what that could look like. And we're starting to see that sort of come forward in design. And so we're getting excited about that. We've got our master planning almost done. And so now we're really going to start looking at um, uh, construction planning and really beginning to phase this thing out. So that's that's exciting. That's a big project. That will take some time. There's a lot of uh, a lot of regulatory uh, issues we need to deal with, of course, when you're doing that. And and uh, frankly, it'll cost us a whole lot of money to do something that significant. And so we're we're you know we're committed to that, but uh, uh, it will take some time to do that. So we hope to be in the ground, um, you know, doing some new things there uh, next spring. Now the the other project we're working on, which isn't contiguous with that physically. Uh, but across town on on another piece of property is really on the other end of the aging spectrum right now, and that is the beginning of baby boomers getting into their their you know post retirement years now, right? And so what what we know about that is um, we've got ten thousand folks turning sixty five every day in our country. That's the that's the boom, right? And so we've never that's unprecedented. And so we know these folks. 65 to 80 in the next 15 years, the oldest baby boomers are about 70 now. So we're about 10 years out from them hitting that 80th birthday, which will really begin to usher in an era of growing frailty that the nation's going to have to deal with. In the meantime, we've got these baby boomers who are 65 to 70 and, and sort of more coming in every day that are still living very active lifestyles and, and are not interested in traditional um, you know, senior housing and these kinds of things. They're living their lives. They're playing golf. They're, you know, playing with the grandkids. They're doing what they uh, travel and so forth. So we're actually developing what will be the first for that community, a, a what we're calling an active adult senior community, which is really designed with the really, the really four elements that matter to us in there. One is the design itself so that the house, the home, the condo as it will be, uh, will be age-friendly design so that the design of the home will never become a problem if and when frailty comes, right? So we're thinking ahead about how do you, how do you design these things smartly. Um, the, the, the second is the access to in that community services that may be needed someday uh, as, as some of them sort of almost concierge-like early on but care services later on uh, with also the third thing, technology um, really cool, new, enabling technologies that are really helping people age well in their homes. 
that we can implement when we need to. So that's part of the part of the design and the philosophy. And then fourth is designing this community to have multiple price points so that we're serving a middle market senior. There's a lot of product being put into the market right now for upper income seniors. That's where developers go. That's where the money is, right? And then we serve lower income sort of below the poverty line seniors through some of our HUD-funded programs, our tax credit programs. But there's this middle market of folks who are making a modest income in retirement, thirty-five dollars to $50,000. Maybe they own their modest home, free and clear. Those are the ones we're really targeting to say they're missed out in the market. And so this product is really geared for them and to give them safe, accessible, good housing for them to age in. Uh, really will will help them age well uh, because we know housing is the anchor for for good for good aging. So that's that's sort of what we're up to in Frankenmuth right now. So Dave, when you talked about the Frankenmuth skilled nursing facility being built in 1969 and people living um, on average until about their 70s back in in that time period, mm-hmm. and now you're talking about people living into their their 90s, our definition of what older means yeah, has really right. changed. But I've also heard you say that um, people, even though they're living longer, they're sort of aging faster, right? I've heard that quote from you before. They're not necessarily prepared for that. Yeah. What do you tell us? What you mean by that? And well, also, how how is the Frankenmuth, um, mm-hmm. uh, the sort of active senior community yeah. that we're building, fit yeah. with that? Yeah, it's sort of a it's an interesting turn of phrase that we're we're not really aging faster okay. because it's one day at a time, right? But we're seeing a population's aging faster mm-hmm. as we have more and more people aging. And we are less prepared as baby boomers than uh, the generations before with, um, with pensions not being what they used to be, um, with savings not what they used to be. We're seeing this actually as the largest generation coming into retirement with the least financial preparation. And so what we know about that is that will sort of accelerate the effects of aging if we can't figure out how to get Mm -hmm. them into places where they can age well. And so uh, we know through the work being done in social determinants of health that housing matters a lot. If we can get folks into housing that doesn't take more than about 30 percent of their discretionary income, they will do okay. Um, But if they've got to spend 50 percent of their income on 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 housing and and being being uh, uh, you know safe in their in their homes and so forth, they start having trouble buying the things they need as they age. And so the the opportunity for us is to think about how do we help that again, that lower middle income, but sort of in that lower bracket of middle income, these are people who are again thirty, fifty thousand dollars of income, that's social security plus a modest pension, maybe a little bit of investments. Their biggest, their biggest equity piece is their home that they likely own free and clear. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do is get them into homes that are going to suit them really well for less money than what they're going to be able to sell their homes for so that when they buy a condo in this new community, they're actually going to leave some equity in the bank. And if we can help them create fifty, sixty, eighty thousand dollars of of liquidity now, money that they was otherwise tied up in their home and be in the right kind of housing for the next fifteen years, they just bought themselves a lot of care. And that's what we're that's sort of the that's what we're chasing now is to help folks leverage their wealth and for that modest middle income, their wealth is their house. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and something else interesting about that project I've heard you mention is that um, in that community, you have a lot of uh, newer, younger families yeah. looking for single-family housing, and it's just not as available. Yeah, and, and the other impact of this community um, isn't just for the individual senior, but the community itself, and that those seniors would free up housing then. That's right. For some of those younger families. Yeah, that's a phenomena that's micro uh, or hyper hyper focused in Frankenmuth because the, it's a smaller community and the 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 population in Frankenmuth is actually about thirty percent, sixty five and over, which is almost double the state average. Wow. Having said that, this idea of seniors being able to move from their longstanding homes to um, to something better for them does free up for that folks looking, young families looking, and and so. There was actually an article in the Free Press just a couple of well, – maybe a couple of months ago now um, that talked about this actually as a state phenomena. It's not just a small town Frankenmuth. It is a, a statewide phenomena. Builders aren't generally building what we would consider to be starter homes, right? They're building the bigger homes for people that are you know $500,000 and more and young families can't get into the communities they want to get in and seniors are aging in their homes that they raised their kids in, probably bought in maybe in the 50s, 60s. And those are going to be starter homes for the next generation, but seniors have to have somewhere desirable to go to. And so by getting the right senior housing into the market, you actually create better health for the entire community because families come in and feed the school systems and feed the, the local markets and the, the, the buying that goes with being a, a, a young family as we, we know. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's there's this whole sort of economic activity that springs from – the right senior housing in the right community. Yeah. So as, as someone who is approaching retirement perhaps and someone who is dreaming about retirement for the near future, maybe not near but not too far off in the distance, um, how would you recommend that people uh, prepare for those golden years? Yeah. So I, just for the record, I'm I'm sort of dreaming about retirement too. I got a daughter getting married. I got one in college. So um, I knew you're, you weren't going to get away a, with yeah, that. Yeah, you're not getting away with that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we sort of dream about that too. Um, I always say kids were the worst financial decision ever made, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, but but obviously they're great. And so so how we think about that is, you know, it's interesting when you when you're a young couple, right? You get married and you say, okay, we God willing, we're going to have children, and so. You think about where you're going to live. You you buy your first house. You only need one bedroom, but you maybe you buy a three bedroom or even four bedroom because you're planning ahead because you don't you you don't know for sure that you're going to need all that, but you think you will. Mm -hmm. We don't apply that same sort of logic to senior housing. When as 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 we age, we get to sixty sixty five. We think about, well, why wouldn't we think about what kind of house are we going to need for the next 30 years, right? And so I always say frailty isn't inevitable, but it is predictable, right? Not everybody gets frail, but it's predictable enough that we should be thinking about that. Mm -hmm. And so as we think about young families buying homes that are have extra bedrooms because they think they're going to need them, we should be helping seniors buy homes or get into homes that will accommodate frailty even though we think they may not need it because if they do, it's a game changer if you're in the wrong place. But if you're in the right place and frailty comes along, then you've got the accommodations you need to, to really age well there. And so – and if, if frailty never comes, then you're, you're good too. Mm -hmm. So we're just trying to get people to be thoughtful about the next 30 years. I remember when my dad retired. He was 65 and unfortunately um, – 
didn't live long after his retirement. But I remember having this conversation with him to say, Dad, what are you thinking about now for the next 30 years of your life? And it, that was a question that like hit him out of nowhere. Like, well, I'm not going to – turns out he didn't live very long. But he hadn't thought about that could be the inevitable or the uh, the trajectory as well. And so we just have to get more planful about it, I think. Mm-hmm. And for those frail – those more frail seniors, which is um, very much some of the population that we serve at Wellspring – uh, in our particularly in our skilled nursing facilities, you've seen skilled nursing facilities all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say you're most proud of about our uh, Wellspring facilities mm-hmm. and Wellspring programs? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's the it's the people we have and the philosophy of care that's delivered. Very personal relationships are forming between our staff and families, and our staff and residents, and 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 the ability to create a place regardless of sort of what the physical environment is because they're different everywhere. Um, but that undergirding philosophy of uh, the the relationships that matter most are what we're trying to honor and and we're constantly trying to get better at that. But, but I think that's the thing that defines us. When I hear families talking to me about their experience, most of the time they're talking about an individual nurse aide who was extraordinary or a housekeeper who – who touched their lives in a way that was outside of their job description. And that's when I know our mission is being actualized. Hmm. And speaking of our mission um, and our vision, you've seen a lot uh, in your time at Leading Age. You've done a lot in the time that you've been at Wellspring. What's next for us and how uh, does um, your experience with Leading Age, looking at other facilities – looking at other programs, learning everything you have about seniors inform what that next stage vision mm-hmm. for Wellspring is? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question and some of that we'll, we'll, we'll discover, mm-hmm. right, in terms of programs and projects. I think what's, what's next for us is um, really claiming this space that we've started to move into of identifying gaps in services and in communities and being innovative and, and willing and maybe taking a little bit of risk to step into those gaps and doing that in a way that um, is right for the community uh, and finding a way to make it right for us. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we've begun to do some things, as you know, that, you know, just are new and we don't necessarily know exactly how we're going to get fully paid for these things, but they're the right things to do. You know, this afternoon, you know, Sean, you and I are going to be in Flint working with a very local uh, organization that is that we're helping them open a a transitional home for teen homeless moms, right? It's not the biggest program in the world. We're not exactly sure how we're going to get funded for it though, but it will make a difference in that that neighborhood and if we can figure it out there, then we can replicate it. That's a great example of what's next for us. It's not going to be the 100 million dollar new campus, you know, uh, on the edge of town. It's it, it's going to be smaller projects smaller opportunities to put mission in action so that we can learn and grow and and meet meet those um, gaps in our communities. Mm-hmm. So Dave and Sean, as we wrap up today, um, we've talked a lot about um, housing. We've talked a lot about seniors needing to prepare earlier for just kind of growing older. And so um, as we depart today, if you could give families – or seniors, um, anything to really just kind of think about, maybe mm-hmm. something to discuss at the dinner table tonight, mm-hmm. um, maybe a plan that they could put in place. What would be a question that they could think about or start to plan for mm-hmm. as they grow? So 
this is something I think about all the time. And so what I will tell you is that my experience over all these years has been if I've heard it once, I've heard it a zillion times. People say I don't want to be a burden to my children, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a whole conversation we could have about that. Um, and the reality is we can't predict whether we're going to be a burden upon people that love us, right? Yeah. I can't I can't guarantee my wife that at some point I'm not going to need her help with some illness or something. I, I don't control all that. What I tell people is you become a burden to your family when you don't plan, when you don't talk about what might happen if I become frail, right? So the gift that – families can give each other is the willingness to talk about it, right? I always say when the sun's shining, not when the sun's setting. And and frankly, a lot of families we interact with are calling us because mom's now at the hospital with a broken hip. They know she's going to get discharged in the next two days. They can't find her Medicare card, let alone know what the plan is. And that's crisis. That is becoming a burden to your family. But had they had the conversation about different scenarios that could occur, frailty can happen in an instant, frailty can happen over time, what does that look like? So my advice would be have the conversation. Be, be courageous enough to have the conversation. Again, frailty isn't inevitable, but it is predictable. That's great. Um, so one of the things that we are just so blessed with is that we have two experts uh, leading the charge here with Dave and his experience with leading age and Sean um, just having decades of um, experience with human services. And so um, I can't thank you enough for just sharing that expertise with all of us. Every time I sit with the two of you, I learn something new um, and something I'm going to take away with me. Um, and for those of you listening, uh, we talked about a couple of building projects. We talked about some of the things you need to prepare for as you're thinking about aging. You can find more information about that on our website, wellspringlutheran.com. Um, and we are just grateful that you um, have joined us today and thank you for listening. And we hope that we inspire you enough to not only think about some of these important issues, but to share them with the people around you. So thank you for joining us for Real People, Real Hope. Thanks for listening to Real People, Real Hope, the Wellspring Lutheran Services podcast. If you've been inspired by the stories you heard today, share this podcast with someone you know, someone who could use real hope in their own life.